Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. So can you believe it, man? We finally kicked off our first podcast. Yeah, pretty cool, man. We uh, everything's moving, boom, 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 and uh, here we are. Dude, we've been talking about this thing for forever, and are just now finally getting around to doing it. Yeah, man. I think you're the only reason we're actually doing it now. I was actually thinking that you weren't going to show up for this first recording, and I was. That's why yesterday I emailed you. I'm like, dude, I'm doing the podcast with or without you tomorrow, which wouldn't really make for a good podcast since you're the church planner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm not only the church planner; I'm the king of church planners everywhere. Well, there you go. There you go. Church plan. Church so planners anyway, pay homage to me. <laughs> oh, is that what they do? Absolutely. So anyway, we're we're here with our first church planner podcast, and uh, for you, the listener, we're I, you know you know you're never supposed to talk about like what you're all excited about you personally, but I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this podcast. And one of the reasons I'm really excited about it is there's no other weekly podcast for church planners out there. So to me, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I know that, that we're going to be able to help guys every week with new, fresh ideas, content, what's going on in the church planning world. And I gotta, I gotta be frank here, man. That's, that's pretty exciting to me, especially, um, you know, after all the videos that we did, was it last week that we were at that conference? Yeah, and I mean that—that's kind of the funny thing about doing this is that nobody really is an expert on church planning. When I'm only joking about being the king of planners, that's kind of an inside joke because no uh, church planner is an expert. Everybody goes back to zero, and I think we felt that doing all those interviews for the magazine was we were talking to people that no matter what your experience is. We were talking to Navy SEALs. We were talking to people in the underground church in the Middle East. Um, we were talking to people who had spent tw- over 20 years in France. 
um, which is a very hard uh, frontier country to uh, infiltrate with the gospel. I think you just feel humbled whenever you talk to church planners. And so um, whenever you hear guys talking about what an expert they are in this, it's like, hey, we're going to have a lot of people on here for this interview, but ain't no one an expert on this. And uh, yeah, man, it's just really humbling. You know, and that's one of the the really cool things is I was talking with a client of mine last night, and uh, he knew that I was um, at that that pastor's conference. And um, for for everybody who doesn't know, I'm I'm a a marketing guy. So businesses they hire me to get them more customers, clients, patients, that kind of thing. And I didn't know that this client of mine was a, a Christian. You know, we never had that you know conversation. And he knew that I was working on Church Planner Magazine. And so he sends me an email while we're at this pastor's conference. And he says, hey, you got to hook up with this guy in my church. He's one of the associate pastors. And he's uh, thinking that he's being called to do a church plant. I know you got that Church Planner Magazine. Well, it turns out, you know, this guy's from Florida. We're in California. The conference is in California. And this associate pastor happens to be at the conference. So we're able to hook up. And, and talk. So anyway, I'm talking to that client last night, my client from Florida. His name is Dave. And I just told him, I go, you know, you know, we had a great time at the pastor's conference and I'm the guy behind the camera. Like I wasn't doing the interviews. You, you were doing them all. And I was emotionally drained just listening to the stories. Like they were just yeah. so powerful hearing these church planners, hearing what is going on. And uh, what's David's last name? Uh, David, you know, David uh, I always want to say David Trejo, but I know it's not that cause that's Oh, like David Trejo. Yeah. The guy in South central LA. Yeah. David Trejo. <laughs> I, I literally cannot wait for people to see that interview. Cause that interview to me was like one of the most powerful interviews and one of the most freeing interviews all at the same time. <laughs> like it just made me realize that. You do not have to be perfect or anywhere close to it to still to still follow God and to do what God wants you to do. So, I mean, I yeah, was, abs- absolutely. Like uh, you know, David, you know, he, he's an ex gang member. He kind of shares a lot of his struggles and um, some of his desires for vengeance while he's in ministry. While while people are getting shot, his family members, his uh, you know, uh, his friends, you know, and 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 how he. I mean, I don't want to give away the punchline, but I mean that—that's one people need to listen to. There, there are some things that he struggled with that he was brave enough to share with us. Well, I don't think many people, uh, many people, it, people struggle. Church planners struggle. I don't think anyone's ever. <laughs> I know I haven't been in quite that situation, but but God was using them all the same. And um, yeah, man, I I can't wait for people to to hear all this content. I mean, we just got killer, killer content. That's not a shameless plug. I think Pete and I are equally uh, blown away by the doors that have been opening, um, you know, so far since we've been doing this. So Pete, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, man, because here we are, like we're hosting this podcast. You mentioned you're a marketer. So everybody's going like, dude, you're like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a marketer. You shouldn't be here. Aren't you like the enemy? But then again, <laughs> he could be the antichrist. Absolutely. Sorry, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tombstone uh, paraphrase. 
Well, tell, 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 tell the yeah. one your story, man. Oh, have I seen Tombstone? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I'm one of those guys. I didn't like it. <laughs> what? So, no, I swear to you. I know you're not supposed to say I didn't like Tombstone. What Was would, that because it didn't have, like, any stormtroopers or, uh, you know, lightsabers in it? Because we all know how you feel about Star Wars. Yeah, you know what? You want to know the fact? I, I am I am a lover of, of the actual history of Tombstone. I went through there when I was like pretty young, picked up a bunch of books and read the history. And when I saw the film, I was like, man, this is Hollywood. The real deal was a lot more exciting than this movie. So the movie just looked like a bunch of pansy actors playing tough guys, and it just didn't work for me. Well, that's just a crying shame. Yeah. I well, know. Anyway, I know. Ruin the movie. That's too bad. Yeah, no, we, but you're right, though, when you say that when you tell people that I'm a, a marketer and and I tell people that I'm a marketer, especially in the church, they're like, oh, you're one of those guys. And, yeah, I am one of those guys. I'm I'm actually really good at what I do. <laughs> so <laughs> I say it I say it proudly, you know, but um, my my history is I, I grew up in the church, which has probably been, uh, I, I think, one of the biggest advantages and disadvantages a person can have. Um, I actually, I've got my own little theory on success in life. And part of my theory is based on, I believe if you grow up in a middle-class family, it's harder to break free of that than almost it is for someone who, who wasn't even at middle-class. Like they were in the poor areas because like when you're poor, it's like, you've only got one option. You're either going to stay down there in the, the, the poor realm or you're like look i'm gonna make something happen and i'm gonna pull myself out of this and and get out of here when you're in the middle class man you can just be perfectly content i mean you've got okay stuff and you know life's good it's not too hard it's not too good you know it's just right there in the middle but you know that's that was kind of what i grew up in you know we were just middle class family my dad was a, a pastor of church all my life um uh, a Baptist church, actually. So, uh, uh, just in case he's listening, I I don't drink. Actually, that's not true. I do drink, but anyway, <laughs> let's let's all uh, move past that. And uh, so, um, went to uh, Biola University to uh, to get my uh, degree. And absolutely, I, I am not like I, I'm the opposite of you, Peyton. Like you love to study, you love to read. I read because I need to in order to get to where it is I'm trying to go, but I don't like studying. Like I hated school. I hated school. I hated. And, and uh, yet, I, I loved it, my college experience, but, but I, I know, hated it's, classes. It's funny. It's funny to hear you say that because at the same time, you actually are pretty pretty well read. I mean, especially in current events and. You know what's kind of going on out there. You do a lot of research, and um, you know you've but definitely. You know, it's brought... not natural. It's just not wow. natural. I mean, you're right, but it's not natural. Like it's not something that I'm like, oh, I just want to curl up with a good book. You know, you, you always have those friends who are like, oh, I don't watch TV. I read books, and I'm like, dude, I I can't connect with you at all because I watch TV. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I got the best I've of got both worlds, baby. Screen in my. In my movie room, you know, I, I love TV. I love the movies. In fact, I was a film major at Biola. Like, that was the whole thing. Which, interestingly enough, is a, is a fun little uh, side tangent story for you, Peyton. My my parents, growing up, 
you know, being a, a Baptist minister, I mean, my house was very conservative in, in all respects. And probably none more so than with movies and TV. Yeah. So, you know, when I was in high school, I could never, you know, I had to lie to my parents, you know, what'd you do today? Oh, to the mall, (laughs) whatever, dude, we were going to the movies. Right. But you can't tell them that because they would, I still remember this one time, my sister and I, we went and saw um, cliffhanger with Steven, not Steven. um, What's his name? Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. And um, it's rated R. Right. And we went on a Sunday and, you know, my mom goes, oh, what'd you guys do? And my sister, she starts telling them. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, we went to the movies. Oh, what'd you see? Oh, we saw Cliffhanger. Oh, what's that rated? Rated R, I think. And then, oh, my gosh, dude, it just rained down after that. I was like, I cannot believe you just told them we went and saw a rated R movie. So when I told my family that, I was like, all right, well, if I have to go to college, because believe me, it was not my choice. It was, it was like, you're going to college. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be a film major. And that like upset my parents, you know, well, more my mom than my dad. But my mom was like, oh, you know, we we never wanted you to go into that industry. And you know, it's funny. (laughs) And and I think you see that a lot with a lot of uh, like really uh, conservative households. Like you never want your kid to go into that type of stuff, right? You don't want them to go into to Hollywood. You don't want them to go into the military. Not when it's your kid, you can be proud of them and all that. But you don't really want them to do that because you're afraid of what could happen to them. And incidentally enough, I think so much of that has happened is one of the reasons why Hollywood is so like devoid of God or just a jacked up view of God because we don't want Christians to go in there. It's like, we'd rather you go to China and be a missionary than go to Hollywood. Yeah, totally, man. I don't know. Just my own totally. personal opinion there. But anyway. You know, um, in, interestingly enough, though, the uh, the cool thing about um, the whole uh, media thing was C.S. Lewis, man. He's kind of got a renaissance. People don't realize it towards the last, like, 10 years of his life. He swore off from doing any kind of nonfiction writing, which... He's definitely appreciated for it, but he felt uh, that the world of fiction, his fictional writing, had a far greater reach. And so he, to have greater impact, um, he basically gave himself to writing. Sorry, it's a train goes right by my house. Can't stop it. But uh, anyways, he, he gave himself to writing fiction. And so I think only now, like the Christian community is beginning to realize that if you want to really impact you need to hop on media. You need to get into media. So for me as a, as a minister years ago, and I'm old school, man, I'm, I'm, I've been at Lloyd-Jones's church. I've, I've rubbed shoulders with some influential guys. But, but the reality is for me, um, I realized long ago, I'm a preacher. The best I can do is influence the artists, uh, the, the writers, the directors. My wife's a writer. Um, you know, and, and those guys will actually permeate culture. From my pulpit, I will not permeate culture like I imagine myself uh, that that I will. Like like I'll never be a Spurgeon. I'll never be a Lloyd Jones. I'll write a Christian book. It will not permeate culture like uh, a film will or uh, a book by C.S. Lewis. Fiction right sure. now has the ability to shape culture more than anything. So, ironically, you went into probably the most impactful place for ministry. 
Yeah, well, you know, here's here's the reality, though, Peyton. I did that major because I figured it'd be really, really easy. <laughs> Not because, I mean, I was like, I like it, <laughs> technically my degree was communication, so I'm like, I get to talk my way to a degree. How can I yeah. go wrong with that? Like that yeah. was my my whole reason for doing it. But um, and and I I did finally graduate from Biola. Only took me ten years to do it, you know. So. Uh, that, that was, was awesome. always a, a plus, but it will. The funny part is, is I I went to Biola from '93 to '98, five years with like two semesters that I I wasn't there. One I I was grounded and I have to I had to live at home. It's, it's weird, right? You know, you, how, how do you ground a 21 year old? Well, you take them away from their friends, 400 miles away from anything that they know as life, and make them live at home. It was for me easily the most miserable time in my life. Like I look back on that. I'm like, that was my dark times. It was the only time in my life I would wake up in the morning, just mad, just mad at the world. And then another semester I needed to get some other GE out of the way. So I, I took it off by that time. I was at least down in Southern California. I grew up in the, uh, the San Francisco Bay area. So um, anyway, while I was going to, to Biola, like my last semester that I was there, uh, met a gal, and uh, we ended up getting married and found out that there's a five-mile radius from my in-laws that I'm spending the rest of my life in. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck here in Southern California, not really my first choice. But, um, but really, that's, you know, that's kind of my upbringing, if you will. I grew up in a Christian home. I don't know at what point my faith became my own. You know, um, I, I can definitely tell you I remember at five years old, uh, my, my sister and I, we, we had these uh, heater vents. And whenever, you know, we were told we had to go to our room, we would sometimes talk to each other through the heater vents. And, you know, that was like our, our form of walkie-talkie, right, way back in yeah. the day. Yeah. And um, my mom, my sister was eight. I was five. My mom was telling my sister the whole gospel story. And I was listening through the heater vent. <laughs> And I remember distinctly when when she was done telling the story, I was bawling and I went running into my sister's room and I was like, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. And um, I think I that was even before my sister said anything. Like I was like, dude, just burst through the, the door, right? A little five-year-old kid. I don't know at that point how much of that I really understood. Yeah, um, but I understood it enough that it impacted me, man. At five years old, listening through the heater vent, man, I understood that I was listening to the truth. Right? You know, there's yeah. something about this, the the story of Jesus and what he did that just, you know, it, it grabs our attention, and we either have hmm. to accept it or deny it. And um, so, you know, as I've as I've told you, Peyton, my whole life, I've always known when I was doing things that were just, you know, totally wrong. I've always known. Like, it's never yeah. been, oh, you know, uh, I didn't realize that that was wrong. It's like, no way, man. I knew right and wrong. I, to this day, every time I do something that's stupid, I'm like, I know I'm doing something that God wouldn't approve of, and I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And um, so, you know, th that that was my, my background, my upbringing. But kind of what, what makes me tick, and I think one of the reasons that, that I never really fit in with most people, and certainly not in the the culture of my own 
uh, family, so to speak. Right. I am an entrepreneur by nature, mm. and I, I start businesses. I, I take risks. I do crazy things like that. I mean, right now, you and I are doing Church Planner Magazine, which is just a huge undertaking. Uh, we're doing this this podcast, and I mean, the difference is with this stuff. I actually don't see the money in it, whereas almost everything else in my life, I see money in it. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm going to do that because it's going to make me some money. But well, that, to that's me, it's thing, like so much that, more exciting. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the funny thing for you is that um, I remember when we first started talking, you had uh, signed up for a new breed thing. And uh, I I was kind of one day seeking the Lord, and I felt the Lord tell me, call through your list and I called through my list, literally feeling like the voice of God tell me to call. And I had four or five pages of, you know, lists and I call up and you're on the other end of the phone. I'll never forget what you said to me that first time. You told me, look, I'm the son of a pastor. And you go, and I'm, you know, I make money. I make a lot of money and I'm good at what I do. Um, and you said, you know, look, I think God's given me a gift. But you said that the only thing is that I don't think that's what I'm here for. It's what I'm gifted at, skills to pay the bills. But it's I don't think it's my purpose. And I remember you saying to me, I want to do something that has eternal impact and something that has lasting significance. And I I just remember at that time, you know, we talked for about an hour. And it was a great conversation. We laughed a lot. Um, you know, you, you were a really real dude. I remember like, talking to you, feeling like every second I was talking to you, cha-ching, cha-ching, because, you know, as a kind of marketer you are, I mean, that that that's what your time means. So I remember, like, always feeling like, oh, man, I'm kind of humbled to even talk to this dude, but he's taken the time. He's got a heart for the kingdom, and um, and and it was just interesting, you know, and I, I remember putting the phone down with you and feeling like, well, that's it, man. That's That's why we talked, you know. That was... That was that was who God wanted me to talk to, and over the next, uh, gosh, that was a couple years ago now. You know, it just very slowly. Um, you weren't joking because I remember at the time thinking, "Man, he was he was he was serious about that." But you know, it's always kind of I know I know you feel this way a lot of times. Like, hey, we'll we'll see. You know, we'll see. Like, you know, the guy's saying a lot, but um, but you were serious, man. And, and and every time that we would talk, there'd be in the back of my mind this kind of thing like, I don't know if he's really going to, you know, this isn't worth his while, you know, unless he really is, you know, and that wasn't just Church Planner Magazine. That's been all the different stuff that you've been a part of uh, with Newbury Church Planning or um, Refuge Long Beach or whatever it is, because we're, we're pretty connected. And uh, that's another story in and of itself. But I mean, I've really seen that in you. And I've seen you just like run at this stuff with all the energy that you have from the corporate world and, you know, with an entrepreneurial spirit. And of course, all church planners have an entrepreneurial spirit. But you know, most of us don't have business experience, whereas you're on the other side of that divide, jumping into the spiritual part. You know, for me, I'd be like, you know, blind about the business part. And I'm learning that from you a little bit. Well, you know, I think the thing that attracts me most to church planters and church planting is because it is very entrepreneurial. Like, yeah. I totally resonate with the risks that church planters make. And, yeah. um, you, you know, just a, a, as a, as a, you know, quick example, I, when I was 
still in college, you know, part of the 10 years, right? I wasn't at Biola, but I, I hadn't graduated. I was one Spanish class shy for five years and I refused to take it. I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. I've taken it five times. I can't pass Spanish and you guys aren't going to give me a degree for that stupid reason. It's like in protest, I, I wouldn't take it. And I actually never did. I, I was able to finally negotiate my way to a degree five years later when I was had more success. And I'm like, wouldn't you guys rather have me as a graduate than a dropout? But that's a story for another time. Uh, my father and I, I was talking to him on the phone, and my my father was working at Juvenile Hall at the time. So he was a pastor um, all the way through my high school. And then during my college years, he I, I can't remember if he was a substitute teacher then or he was a full-time teacher, but he became um, a teacher for Juvenile Hall. And he loved it as a teacher. And he still did ministry stuff, but it wasn't his full-time gig. Um, basically, the church my dad had been a pastor at had had really shrunk, ha- wasn't able to pay him, and he was like, "All right, well, you know, I got to feed my family." So he he got a job and became a teacher. And um, and I remember I was talking to my dad, and I had already done like three interviews for a parolee, uh, not a parolee, but a, a parole officer uh, job. And he goes, "Oh, you know, those are great jobs. You can make upwards of fifty thousand dollars a year." And the minute he said that to me, I was like, I'm not going in for my next interview. I'm not even calling them. I'm done. Like <laughs> the thought of my income capping out at 50 grand a year, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but, and, and that's nothing, you know, against my father. It was just, you know, he, he those are good jobs. Right. And, but yeah, I, yeah. that wasn't what drives me. Right. So, so I've always been this this entrepreneur and and you know entrepreneurs is is you like to say you know you you're going to set your hair on fire and people just like to watch you burn. Well it's like that way with <laughs> entrepreneurs because we come up with all these crazy ideas and we just do them and more often than not they don't work. And there's there's no like magic solution. Like you can't just go, "Oh, look, you know, I know positively this over here is going to work." As the more we do, the, the better we get, and so we're not doing it uneducated. We're doing it, you know, more educated. Hey, this is the reason why I think this will work, or this is the reason why I'm not going to take on this project because, you know, I've I've got all this experience now, and I know that this is, you know, likelihood of it working is is not great, and um, and and like you said, but you know, part of the thing that's that's always been bugging me is in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, but this isn't what I'm here on this planet for, like. I know that there's got to be something more like what's God going to do? You know, when I, I finally meet up with him one day, he's be like, Oh, Hey, you know, boy, you did a great sales letter that sold that widget, you know, that fan way to go. You know, I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's not going to matter into eternity at all. So there has been this, this desire to want to do something different and, and, and more meaningful. And really until church planner magazine came along, I don't. I don't think I really knew exactly what that was supposed to be like. And now, who knows what the future's got? But uh, to me, that's that's you know that's something that really excites me, and it, it takes just a, a ton of work. Uh, but the guys that you and I get to meet and hear their stories and and hear about what God is doing is it, it's so cool. Like for a guy like me who grew up in the church. Right. Yeah. But never really saw this stuff. Never really saw the front line 
you know, church plants. Never really saw miracles, healings. Uh, never really got on mission. I mean, it is just like, it is so exciting. And that yeah. to me is, is why I am so drawn to this. And, you know, it's kind of like this community, what can I do to help this community? And that's, that's why we put together this podcast. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously, you know, been in ministry for most of your adult life. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, hey, well, you know, I want to get onto this, you know, I want to, I want to be a part of this because it's just, it's fun. I mean, it's incredibly hard. Don't get me wrong, but it's exciting, you know, you're, you're 100% right. Cause I, I I think, you know, you're mentioning how it's fun and we were joking around before this, that serving God ought to be fun. Um, You know, the apostle Paul blows through Asia minor. He uh, goes to Lister and Derby. He, he picks up uh, Timothy. And I just picture Paul looking at Timothy and saying, Hey man, you want to go on an adventure? And he yanks him with him and takes some church planning. I mean, it's kind of like Gandalf grabbing, you know, Bilbo and, you know, saying, hey, you, you need an adventure. And I think that people resonate with that. Um, too many of us are like hobbits, kind of stuffing our hole, all content with, you know, a nice mug of tea and some cakes and, and a lot of food and some warmth by the fire. And Gandalf comes in and goes, hey, you know what? I know what you need. It's not what you want, but I know what you need. And I think that, that church planners are, are catalysts and they have a way of kind of motivating, um, church people to, who, who incidentally are bored, I think. I think most, most church people are just bored out of their head because they're not doing what the Holy Spirit left them here for or equipped them to do. Um, in, in the New Testament, there's this huge thing about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and that Paul says, you know, Therefore, uh, you know, we implore men. He talks about uh, the ambassador. We're amb- ambassadors for Christ. And he says, it was as if Christ were in us. This is by the Holy Spirit. Um, imploring men, be, or pleading with men, be reconciled to God. So the Holy Spirit is in you. He's, he's dying to, to, to reach out and to grab hold of people and to pull them into the kingdom. And when a, when a believer is not doing that, um, and of course, church planning is as front line as it gets. When he's not on the front lines, he's hanging back in the barrack, polishing his gun. He gets bored, and um, he gets in trouble. You know, we were talking the other day that when Christians are on venture, they don't want to look at internet porn. You know, they don't want to be doing all this other kind of stuff um, because they've got adventure. They've got like this battle lust, man, and they're they're just ready to go conquer the world. It's when the kings were out at war and David hangs back and goes, you know, I think I'm just going to do nothing this uh, this springtime, you know, and, uh, and he hangs back. He gets into trouble. And I think the church right now, the average Christian is bored because they, they're not on mission. And, uh, and, and it's killing us, you know, it's making us lethargic. It's causing us to doubt when you were on the front lines, you're encountering, uh, demonic possession. Uh, you're, you're seeing miracles. I mean, I was just telling you that <laughs> I experienced a miracle last night, you know, a, a, a healing and, um, you know, people, people aren't used to this or that you say that and they go, Oh, you must be Pentecostal charismatic. Well, you know, all labels aside, I I'm from a word-based church. But as soon as I started church plan, I started experiencing supernatural. 
And of course, that's where you see the supernatural is in the book of Acts where, guess what? They're on the front line. That's why missionaries come back from overseas and they have these miraculous stories because they're on the front line. The front line is where the adventure is. Where you find the adventure, you find the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when I'm in my hobbit hole, why would the Holy Spirit even need to turn up? I'm not doing anything. So when I'm out on the front line, I'm actually engaged in mission. And at that point, um, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers me. And, um, and I just think when Christians start feeling that, there's no going back. No going back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I would absolutely agree that I think Christians are bored. I, yeah. I fully, completely agree with that. And I think we've turned... Uh, Christianity and church into a spectator sport when it was really meant to be a, a full <laughs> full contact sport, you know? Yeah. Not yeah, meant to be watched, show. but meant to be played. Yeah. yeah. It's a big show now. And, and, and it's so funny because, like, you know, I went to this big conference, and I'm not judging the conference. I'm not trying to be hard on the guys um, that throw this. I'm sure it's a great conference. I've, I've been to it a couple times, and you know, but it, but it just hits me because I, you know, it, it, it was in Orange County, and I, I always think if Orange County needs anything, it's so materialistic there. It's where I grew up, so you know, I I, I know firsthand. Um, you know, it it was like you know there was Ferris wheels and all kinds of like paintball art, and there's giant ball pits, and so I'm watching these like guys that are in their twenties just play. And, and I got no problem playing, man. You can, like, strap me up with paintball, you know, gear, and let's go out and shoot each other. That's awesome, dude. Let's go do fun stuff. But what what hit me was at a Christian conference, um, that's not the time for fun. That's the time to motivate people for adventure. Um, what I'm looking at with, with you know, uh, Southern California Christianity is it's the home of Disneyland. We made Christian Christianity into Disneyland. Um, let's, let's get out of the Disneyland, the fun mentality. Let's get into adventure, dude. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's get out there. And, and we won't crave fun when we come together, man. We'll, it, it'll be all about adventure. And that's, that's what I'm, that's what people are wanting. That's why video games right now, man, video games are, and I dig on a good video game, but a video game is people's innate craving for adventure. And so if I'm not getting in real life, man, I'm going to hook up a digital adventure and I'm going to go on it. That's, that's why it's such a big business because we were wired by God to be on adventure. All of us are meant to be out there kicking butt on all kinds of evil. And, uh, we don't do it. We, we'll go looking for it somewhere else. Yeah. Well, Peyton, why don't you tell everyone about your background and, you know, how <laughs> you got started in ministry? And I don't know how much uh, you want to tell them about, you know, your well, life before being saved, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> well, I was born, uh, <laughs> on June 3rd, 1973 is a dark and rainy night. I, in thought, the hospital. You were gonna get, I thought you were going to do the, the, the jerk. I was, uh, I, 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 was <laughs> I was thinking about it. I think you and I say that to each other at least once a phone call, but here, here's a deal. You know, I, um, 
I grew up in a in a broken home. I did not grow up a Christian, and I, you know, and and by the way, I'm sure you've kind of figured this out by now in this interview. This is kind of Pete and and Peyton telling you who we are, and so maybe you're going, dude, where's the church planting goods? You know, show me the show me the church planting money. And this is kind of like, hey, no, this is this is the first part where you get to hear what a jerk Jerry Maguire is, and you know, so th- this is us talking about who we are. And uh, so here's the deal. Um, I was born in a non-Christian home. So everything that I came to Christianity in was kind of like as from an outsider perspective. So it's pretty cool for, for Pete and I, my wife was uh, born in the church, Pete's born in the church. So I appreciate that perspective because I need that perspective because my perspective has always been an outsider. Well, it's, it's been great to help me kind of, you know, every once in a while I'm, I'm, I'm smelling the, smelling the stench of, hey, you know, this is churchianity or this is that. I always find that very strange because from the time I got saved, I've always looked at things from an outsider's perspective. And that's kind of helped me uh, go on mission when I need to. Um, but it's also it's also helped me communicate uh, with people outside. And of course, you read Church Zero. Um, that's that's kind of laced all the way through that book. But um, even, even to the point where people are like, oh man, it's just filled with pop culture. It's like, <laughs> some of the reviews are like, man, things just downright carnal, but you know, it, it, it's how I relate everything in my world back to the gospel. And so that's, that's actually what people are seeing as I Which, don't, by the com- way, those, those are the funniest reviews to me. Oh yeah. Are the ones oh, yeah. where people are like, Oh, there's, there's too much pop culture in it. And obviously he has no problem spending God's money on Starbucks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah, it was pretty I'm funny. Like, are you, you know, serious? And, yeah, actually I do laugh at those. Those don't those are the ones that don't sting. But but the deal is is that, you know, um it it's just I don't compartmentalize. I feel that people that, that are that critical about that, what what they've done is they've compartmentalized their life. God is in the God box and everything else, like the media is in the media box and you know, um work is in the work box. To me it all flows. There is no division. God is in everything. I could be sitting in a Spider-Man movie, and I, I say this out of personal experience, and God discipling me in that movie, man. Spider-Man's getting his butt kicked. And, and to be honest with you, I've learned to turn everything into a church planning story. If I'm watching a film, I kid you not, everything is about church. If I'm watching The Avengers, I'm picking out, I'm like, okay, that one's like Charlie, right? That one's like Jimbo on my team. Okay, I'm I'm obviously Tony Stark. I got the Iron Man suit. No, I'm teasing. But, uh, I'm Tony Stark, actually, obviously. I, actually, I'm of all course. of them, Pete. I'm all of them. Don't make me angry. That's one. I'm a which, god. Which one no. is Mike Bonomo? <laughs> I'm just joking. Which one is Mike Bonomo? Oh, he's definitely the Hulk. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I, I thought that's where that was going. He's the Hulk. I'm, absolutely absolutely except when he's not the hulk and he's smart he's charlie (laughs) oh yeah so you know the the hulk is too big for just one man to play him so here's the deal um you know so i don't compartmentalize and so that that's been kind of that was a real cultural end when i ended up a missionary to to wales because uh we export our pop culture to the rest of the world so that becomes a very powerful uh, gospel uh, medium to communicate the gospel through. So, um, so anyways, going, going back to my history. So I grew up in a broken home. Um, ironically, my parents were, um, 
uh, I would say my mom less so, but my dad more so, practicers of the occult. My grandfather was a famous uh, Civil War author, best-selling author in the 50s and 60s, um, wrote uh, uh, the interview, uh, interviewed the grandkids, uh, and some of the people still alive that uh, were part of the Hatfields and McCoys. Um, he wrote the, uh, the, the, the first official history of them. Um, he wrote, uh, well, he just wrote tons of books. One of them was called, uh, uh, the gray ghosts and rebel raiders. He had a, a famous, uh, theory. Um, so he was an author. They made a TV show called the gray ghosts. Some, some of the older listeners will know that, uh, off of his book is an old black and white and uh, as about Ranger Mosby. And so what was interesting is my grandfather lived on the edge of a Civil War uh, battlefield, the Manassas battlefield, where the Bull Run campaign was fought. Um, so it, a little bit of history there in Centerville, Virginia. And he had a, a uh, three-story cabin that he built himself. Um, when I say cabin, is the size of a house, but three stories. The entire third floor was a library. Um, so people, people want to know where I got my love for books and reading. Um, there you have it. Um, my grandfather read a book a day, um, on average, and he had the second largest private civil war library in the state of Virginia. And there's a lot of civil war libraries in the state of Virginia. So, um, he was, he was, uh, kind of cool, but anyways, um, that attic was haunted, um, quote unquote. Uh, the story was that there was a forbidden love triangle uh, with the general and his daughter. And one of the soldiers uh, passing through that area fell in love with the daughter. Um, he had the um, uh, soldier uh, executed and uh, she committed suicide. So, you know, typical story usually heard about Native Americans. Whether it was true or not, nobody knows, but there were things that went bump in the night in the Jones attic. And so my grandparents and my father were very much into seances. And so, um, you know, I grew up with this knowledge of spiritual things and experiences of spiritual things. I had some hairy experiences in my grandfather's house uh, as a child. Um, I had supernatural things. I had uh, things that would move on their own, uh, pictures that would turn upside down, uh, strange experiences, seeing things, apparitions, um, chains rattling uh, in the back room, thinking it was the dog, the room being empty. I mean, on and on and on. And so my parents started doing seances, and that led to some some uh, demonic activity uh, that, uh, anyways, carried on in, in my family. And so by the time I heard the gospel, I was 14 years old. I'd already uh, kind of ran away to my dad's house and told my mom that, you know, I'm not coming home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my dad sent me a plane ticket, and um, boom, I went off to live with him. My father was an alcoholic. Um, and he had, um, I thought there'd be no rules there, but when I went to live there, it was Washington, DC. Of course I was from Orange County, um, left my mom. She was a single mom and, uh, lived with my dad for six months during the time that I was in, uh, high school or excuse me, um, I was at a secondary school. So I was in eighth grade, but it was a secondary school. So I was a high school linked with, um, junior high just how they do it on the East Coast. And uh, while I was sitting in English class, I read um, Christopher Marlowe's Faustus, and the Holy Spirit convicted me for the first time and said, you're going to hell. 
because at the end, you know, after he lives for pleasure and power and fame, he goes to hell. And those were all the things I wanted. And I'll never forget sitting in English class thinking, I'm going to hell. Wow, when I die, I'm going to hell. And it was just something that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Um, I was a messed up kid. I was in trouble all the time. I was getting suspended. Um, moved back to my mom's. Um, my uh, uh, I got suspended within the first month two or three times. And they said, one more time, uh, you're expelled. And one of the student teachers at the school had heard the uh, teachers talking about me because I had assaulted two teachers. Um, well, one was a teacher, one was a principal. And, of course, I'd verbally assault them. And, you know, uh, I was only 14, but I was telling them to F off and um, all that kind of stuff. Pretty angry kid, getting in fights um, left and right. And uh, what happened was... Um, my uh, student teacher, PE teacher, who was really cool, and I, I would never have pegged him for a Christian. He, was, he wasn't a geek. And uh, I always thought Christians would come out of, like, some test tube in a lab, you know, like they have pocket protectors and, you know, look like uh, Poindexter from the Little Rascals and talk like him. And uh, I was faking sick in the nurse's office, and the student teacher started praying for me after he heard the teachers talking about me. You know, what are we going to do with Peyton Jones type of deal? And, you know, I was still young enough where I couldn't do too much damage. But, you know, my friends had started doing cocaine and I was, I was, you know, starting to get drunk and um, my friends were starting to do drugs and I was kind of like on the verge of, of just starting to do that stuff. And this guy started sharing the gospel with me when I was faking sick in the nurse's office. And he met me after school and said, hey, do you want to... Um, do you want to talk more about it? Because I'll get fired if I talk to you about it. He was only 21. And so I said, well, you know, I'll meet you after school. And we talked. And uh, he started telling me about the crucifixion. And I thought it was pretty gnarly. So I listened for about 30 minutes. And he was giving me that, you know, you know, Pete, that medical report that people give where they're like, and then, you know, it went into the ulnar radial nerve. And it went into this. And, you know, and he would have asphyxiated, you know, that whole kind of physician's oh, report. Right, right, right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He had gotten a yeah, hold of that. Yeah. It was really entertaining. But, you know, I, I said to him, hey, this makes no sense to me because uh, if, um, if Jesus let the bad guys kill him, then they won, right? But you're telling me he's God. So how does that work? And um, just as an aside, I had started getting into the Ouija board, which was something you could do by yourself. You didn't need um, – I did it with my friends, but I would do it by myself. I was really – eager to kind of learn. When I lived with my dad, he had a bunch of books on the occult, and I started praying to, to spirits and, and, and all that stupid stuff. And, um, and so what happened was, um, uh, I remember once we were doing a, a, a Ouija board thing, and, you know, they, they were, the, the spirits were talking through this Ouija board. And um, I remember one of them, I asked about Jesus. I said something like, hey, you know, are you stronger than Jesus? And it just went silent. And I said, hey, you know, I was being a punk like I was. And I was like, oh, yeah, come on. What are you afraid? You know, Jesus, you know, little wimpy Jesus, more powerful than you. And uh, and it just spelled back, I will not be daunted by you, Peyton R. Jones, and left. And I had never seen a, a, a demonic spirit get pissed off before. Um, thing like rushed the, the, the little uh, cursor that you use rushed off the board. And uh, that was it. And I remember sitting back thinking, huh, I've, I, maybe I've been wrong about Jesus. You know, I'd already been convicted I was going to hell. But I remember feeling like these things that I'm afraid of, they're afraid of him. 
And if they're afraid of him, huh? That's maybe, maybe, maybe I need to think about this Jesus a little bit, but I didn't. And so when this guy came through the nurse's office and he told me this and about Jesus uh, dying, and then and then I said, hey, you know, if the bad guy's one, um, you're telling me he's God. And then he said something that I I don't know what you would have answered, but he just very boldly said, Peyton, first time he came, he came for peace, but he's coming back. He's coming back to judge the world this time. Right now is your opportunity to believe and repent. And the Spirit just sniped a bullet, just a bullseye right into my heart. And I was gone. It was like from that second on when he said that, that was like a bullet to the brain, dude. It was like, you know, target accomplished, man. You know, Peyton Jones, target acquired. That was all I needed. I don't know. It was like your experience. I don't know how, you know, you you grew up in the church. I just know that's true. For me, I knew that was spiritual truth. I went to bed that night afraid that Jesus was going to come back. Now, you got to understand, I'm not Mr. I read left behind and got all in, into it, even since I've been a Christian. Um, that stuff just doesn't, you know, the hype, the whatever. This was different. This was the Holy Spirit saying to me, Peyton, this is true. And you need to get right with me. And I did. And, you know, um, I, I, I tried to keep getting saved. It was funny. Um, you know, I, that night I asked for Jesus, you know, hey, you know, just don't come back yet. And then over the next couple of weeks, I went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, um, said a sinner's prayer every chance I got in the back of a 66 Mustang. So I got saved in style. Um, and then, you know, every, <laughs> every time there was like an altar call or something, I, I do it again. Um, and uh, I went to school, and I went to school. I went back to school, and I just shared Jesus like crazy. I, I walked into the teacher's lounge, and that's like the inner sanctum. You're never supposed to do that. It's like the Holy of Holies. Don't go behind the veil. And I walked into the teacher's room, and I'll never forget, all the teachers were eating their lunch, and they froze like, oh, crap. You know, <laughs> Peyton Jones is in here. What's he going to do? And I just said, hey, buddy, I got an announcement to make. <laughs> That shows you what a punk I was. I just said, listen up. Um, I, uh, I've become a Christian. I want to let you guys know you're not going to have any more problem from me from now on. And they all went, uh, they all looked at me kind of funny. and went, that's nice, Peyton. Now get out of here. <laughs> it's like, you're not allowed to be back here. So I walked out and I remember thinking, huh, I expected them to be really happy. I, wonder, I, I actually wonder what was going through their heads when they heard you say that. And you know, that was it. Like, like, I wonder if they're like, oh, not another one of these or, you know. Yeah, no, they were knows. stunned. They were stunned. And they didn't know what to do with it. It was kind of like, they didn't take it serious. I remember walking out thinking, huh, that didn't quite go how I thought. I thought they'd be like in tears and like, you know, gather around me. And, you know, how did this happen? Because I thought, guys, your problems are over. <laughs> you know? like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be good, you know. And, uh, and so, uh, really, the person in jeopardy was me. I mean, they were really just about to kick me out. And um, so, you know, there was this place called Wintersburg, and that was like, you're going to Wintersburg. And my best friend, they're like, you're going to Military Academy. And uh, anyways, I just started sharing the gospel, just started winning people to Christ. Um, the guy who led me to the Lord just took me out witnessing um, every chance he got. And that, that did something, you know, so I started Christianity on mission. It was all about mission. At the end of that year, there's a bunch of parties and, uh, he was like, Hey, let's go to these parties. I'll, I'll teach you how to share with people. And so I'd go to these parties and I, we were just crashing parties and, um, he was too old to be there, but it was cool. You know, we were just 
We were just sharing the gospel. We were watching people at parties just break down and cry and say, I want Jesus in my life. And, um, and that's what I did. You know, I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this now, but um, when I when I, at high school, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd hand out tracts, you know, like this was towards the end of the year I got saved. So the next year I started handing out tracts and stuff. And um, and that's just what I did, you know, like, but it was amazing because the Holy Spirit really moved. Um, we started throwing punk concerts in my youth group and uh, I led, I led, I'm, I don't mean it like that, like, I led a bunch of people to, but God was really using me. I, I, from the, from the time I got saved, I kind of had this like gifting for evangelism. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll never forget walking home cause you know, I was like 15 years old and didn't have wheels yet. And I'm walking home from high school and, uh, you know, there was so much I could, I could tell, but, um, I just remember walking past all these kids sitting on a wall and, their first question was, are you a virgin? I had seen them across the street, and they were like vultures, man, ready to pounce, and I could sense it. And so I prayed. I'm like, Lord, you know, be with me as I'm getting ready to, to cross the street. And uh, and they, they they did, you know, they, they, they started, and I just said, look, yeah, no, you know, I'm a virgin, but by choice. I've had my chances, but God's in my life. And uh, they all started laughing. And within a few, I just started preaching at them, man, just telling them about Jesus. And some of the guys took off, and that day, like four people got saved from this pack of kids, man. And they became the start of a youth group, which uh, you know I took to the church I was going to. And by the end of, uh, I mean, by the end of my 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 time in high school, I'd seen so many kids come to the Lord. We were t- went from like my freshman year sitting on the back benches out by the bleachers uh, with maybe 20 kids to filling half the cafeteria at Marina High. Um, and, and just wow. there was just a, a major uh, move of the Holy Spirit going on. And so uh, I, I don't know, man. It was just God. There was just no way to explain it. But anyways, um, so I'm 18 years old. I go to I go to nursing school uh, when I graduate because I couldn't graduate with the credits I had, and so I prayed. And the only class I could take was nursing, and I realized as I was doing this, I'm like, nothing happens by accident. Obviously, I wouldn't look good in a skirt, uh, but you know, maybe I should be a nurse because the the people that Jesus would go to are the gay people. And so I'm thinking, well, if Jesus is hanging out in a gay bar, I don't really want to go to a gay bar. But the modern day lepers. Um, are the homosexuals. And this is like the 80s, 80, 89, 90. And I, I just thought, I'm going to go into RN work, uh, nursing, and um, get my degree and uh, work with dying AIDS patients. I'm going to show them the love of Christ, man, because ain't nobody in the church going to them. Church had it all backwards. And I saw that, again, my outsider perspective. And then halfway through nursing school, I was 19 years old, um, my youth pastor's wife got sick. She had schizophrenia. And uh, they, they didn't understand it in the church back then. So they were like, look, uh, he's going to take a break while, while she gets better. And, uh, of course, I stepped in and, um, and tried to juggle uh, nursing school ministry. And then I met Andrea. She was, she's now my wife. Um, started dating her and, uh, you know, trying to juggle all this. But when I graduated nursing school, um, I was then running a junior high group, a high school group and a college group. And so I got sucked deeper and deeper into ministry. But I was a bookworm, man. I was a studier. I studied 
the Puritans. I studied um, a lot of Reformed theology. I became very, very Reformed. Um, and then at the age of 23, uh, my, um, my pastor that I trained under had a moral failure. And during the time where I was 20, I was 20 years old when I first set foot in his pulpit. And so from a very young age, and at 21, I was made an assistant pastor at a very young age, I was given all this responsibility. I mean, when I came on staff at 20 years old, people would be calling the church and saying, my marriage is breaking up, you know, tell me what to do, you know, and I, I, I was 20 years old and I'm thinking, well, I'm a pastor, I got to have the answers. And I really didn't even understand how to date Andrea yet, you know, and so I'm trying to figure all this out. And there were a few really cool supernatural stories where the Holy Spirit turned up and I'd just be like, I'll just pray for you. And, you know, someone, you know, a non-Christian, be overcome with the Spirit of God and get saved and they get reconciled. There's some really cool stories. But um, but the but the cool thing was is that um, I just, I don't know, man, like I never felt able or ready to be in the ministry. And I always kind of felt like it was an accident that I even got in. You know, kind of like, you know, hmm. God was playing a little joke, like, I, and I'd always say, like, I'm not the dude for this. I had hair down in my butt. I looked like I was in the red hot chili peppers. Hard for you to imagine because I'm bald now. I can't even grow hair. But I, I was a long hair. I had earrings all over and uh, just was not your ministry looking dude. In fact, when my uh, pastor called me up and told the church I was going to come on staff for a little bit, he he actually made fun of me and said, "Look at him; he's a model citizen," you know. And uh, so, so for me, I always tell people I got in by accident. I got in through the back door. Um, I was kind of the guy that that you know shouldn't have been there, and I still feel that way. And I think a lot of people probably don't realize that. One one of the great secrets about me is I'm kind of. Uh, known for being, um, people think I'm an extrovert. I'm known for being more front lines. I'm very comfortable on the streets. I'm in risky situations um, because that's that's how God has called me, but it's not how God wired me. And what I mean by that is I am a closet introvert and people don't realize this. I could spend the rest of my life as a hobbit in my hole with a mug of tea and some tasty food and my army of books. I, I, I don't know if you've seen my study, Pete, but uh, I have a lot of books, and I can read them all day. And I read quickly. I, I read voraciously. I read widely. Um, again, I don't compartmentalize. So every, see, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. See, th- th- that's, that's the difference between you and me, because you could st- – I'm a hermit. Jamie will tell you I'm a hermit, but I wouldn't be in there with a mug of tea. For me, it would be a Guinness and my TV. Well, the the funny thing is, Pete, is I I was in danger of becoming a pencil pusher for Jesus. I write about this in Church Zero. And I kind of say, look, you know, um, you can try to change the world behind a desk, but it's not going to work. That's not what Paul did. Uh, Paul was out there. And I was in danger when, when, when I became the interim pastor. Um, I was trying to lead my whole church into Reformed theology. And, of course, there's, there's you know, that's where all the eggheads go when they get saved. And, um, and God was just like, you know what? I know you're wired that way, but that's not good for you to just become a bookworm. Charles Spurgeon said that many ministers are at home among the books, but it's sea when it comes to men. And I was in danger of becoming a monk, you know, cloistered away and, you know, leaving a world to just go to hell. 
quite literally just go to hell. I don't, I, I'm not, you know, I'll, if you want to hear the gospel, you come and you listen to my sermons and I'll be preaching top nuts stuff from the pulpit and you can come hear me. And, and most of us have, we wouldn't say we have that attitude, but we definitely have that practice. That's what we do. And so, you know, God started wiring me to go get them. And part of that was being a youth pastor. Um, I was the kind of youth pastor where when they didn't come, I went and got them. Um, I had a football coach. Um, I played a little bit of football. And uh, uh, <laughs> when I first got saved, it was a place to get my aggression out. But when my grades were so bad that I couldn't play, I had a coach that would go out and find me and make me do my homework. Uh, he'd go find where I was and he'd, he'd drag me back home or, you know, so that I could play. Um, he pulled strings with my teachers so I could stay on the field. And so, you know, I, I was like that as a youth pastor. Um, I started discipling my kids. I'd go hunt them down and God got me out of the four walls. And, and so there was always this tension. Even now, I still feel that. And I write against my natural tendency. But I say that to encourage people because otherwise people, you know, they read my book and they think, well, you're just an extrovert. No, dude, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus calls me like he does the disciples and sends me out like the 72, puts me in situations I don't want to be in where I'm out of my depth, drops me in the deep end, um, makes me do things that make me want to go crying home for, to my mama like, Mr. T, I pity the fool that tries to conquer the world and goes crying home to his mama. That's me, dude. He pities the fool. I'm the fool, right? But uh, at the end of the day, I know I'm being long-winded here, but this is my story. Um, you know, it's... Uh, at the end of the day, um, there's still that tension. And the way I got into church planning was I got called by God to go to Wales. Now, previous to that, I had a, um, a sinning pastor who came in. After I was the interim pastor at Refuge Huntington, um, we called a guy who was a missionary. He was a missionary at Australia. His name is Bill Welsh. He's my sinning pastor now. Uh, he came on staff and he told the church, he said, look, I'm a missionary first and I will always be a missionary. Um, I am not a pastor. Um, so I'll be your pastor second. I'll shepherd you, but I will shepherd you as missionaries. And I picked that up from him. That is, that is my alma mater. I'm from that same school. So, uh, what I do is, um, very similar. I, I want to mobilize everyone to missions, but basically he sent me out as a missionary. And um, even before I went to Wales, he would send me on church planning trips to Hungary, um, to New Zealand. I, I, I had an instrumental uh, hand in planting Calvary Chapel, Auckland. I was the evangelistic team that came in. We went there. I think they had like two families. When we left, they had about 25, 30 people, you know, and uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad way to get started, you know. Um, and I saw supernatural things there. And every time I went out, I saw supernatural things. I went to Hungary, went to, uh, uh, short term on Wales, you know, went to all these places and then eventually got called to Wales. And when I went, I started off in Lloyd Jones's church. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones was a, um, he was kind of like the, the Spurgeon of the 20th century. Um, really influential guy. Uh, there's a generation that arose that, that knew not the doctor. His nickname was the doctor, but he was a master expositor. Your pastor will know who he is. And um, basically went to his church, signed on as the evangelist. And uh, 
Gosh, I, I, I feel like I'm telling too much detail. What do you think, Pete? Should I tell the quick version from here? I think we might almost have to save it for the, uh, the next one, but keep going with this story. Well, you know, basically all I'll say is um, I got there, and uh, I'll wrap it up here because uh, I, think, I think you're right. I think the next podcast we might need to cover my uh, foyer into church planning itself. And, uh, but at least here, God trying to get me out. Imagine I've gone to Britain now. If, if a bookworm loves to go any places, Britain, right? And uh, I'm thinking, this is cool, man. There's castles. It rains all the time. You know, it's pretty quaint. You're living in houses made out of stone, not wood. You know, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm digging on this. And uh, a lot of antiquarian books you can pick up cheap. And so I go to Lloyd-Jones, world-famous church, and they said, hey, will you be our evangelist? I was like, dang. Uh, well, you know, okay. Uh, you know, and uh, let me say this. I was probably more effective at evangelism when I wasn't in full-time ministry. And because ministry has been made into a desk job. And so here's where I started reading the book of Acts and going, huh, what I do every day from nine to five looks nothing like what Paul did. That's not right. And so uh, when, when I said, yes, I'll be the evangelist, I said this to the board of elders. I said, what does he do though? <laughs> And uh, they basically said, well, you know, you go door to door, you preach in the open air, you do all this stuff. Basically, in my mind, this is how I'm translating it. You do all the stuff you don't like doing. And so I started doing some of that formal stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't work. I think what might be good is to come back in our next podcast and I'll, I'll talk about the turnaround and what actually changed and how I got launched into church planning, because it's all connected to this story. And uh, we'll just well, leave and, it there. And I think uh, in the TV world, we would call that a cliffhanger. Mm. Indeed. <laughs> it is. It's, so, uh, so look it's, at that. We're, we're, we're leaving them begging for more. That's, that's perfect. You know, it's Iron Man 1, and we're just waiting for Iron Man 2 now. I love it. I love it. Well, that's uh, that's that's what we'll do. Then on the the next podcast, we'll come back up because your your initial story of how you did your your first church plant, I think, is so important for um, for people to hear one because it might be how they need to do a church plant, or it might uh, be very similar to something that they've been doing. Um, but also, it's it's important, I think, for church planters to know that. Uh, you specifically aren't just someone who's talking the talk, you know, and you've written this book that's been published by David C. Cook called Church Zero. Um, but you're someone who has done it, is doing it currently, and will continue to do it because that's what you've been called to do is to to be a church planner. And there's a lot that goes with that. And as, as you and I talked before we got on this first podcast, Peyton, you know, we discussed well, what are we going to do here on this podcast and these first few episodes of the podcast are really the the foundational episodes of of um you know what it means to be a church planner you know yeah. what, what does it look like and you know as we continue to move through it i know we'll be able to bring people you know great interviews and things of that nature but um really we we got to get that foundation laid you know i want these these beginning ones and they will be where People can just pick them up and okay, this is this is the foundation I need for, you know, I feel I've been called to plant a church, but I have no idea what that means. I I I don't know where to go for help. There is no training you know, for this. 
Absolutely. What do I and do? I th- yeah, and I think that – hold on, that's my train again. I think the uh, the number one thing about being a church planner is – and I think we started in the right place. The number one thing is being a human being. You know, that's why we're telling our human being tales, you know. People might log in and go, oh, you know, it's a human being story. I want I want a church planning. Well, the reality is the first thing you got to learn to be if you want to reach the average human being is a fellow human being. And uh, these are human being tales, man. And this this is what people out there relate to. Who are you? That's the first thing people want to know when you're church planning. You're sharing the gospel. They want to know a little bit about you. Well, you know, what's your credibility? Who are you? You know, are you just some religious dude? That's why testimony is so important. And the scripture puts such a huge uh, place on the, 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 you know, such a huge place for testimony. Three times in the book right. of Acts, Paul tells his testimony. And uh, so, yeah, man, I, I think we did start in the right spot. I think we were kind of wondering how it was going to go, but we agreed that uh, we tell our testimonies, we tell our story a bit, and uh, let people get to know us. Because part of part of the church planners uh, kind of uh, deal when they get on here is, well, who are you and what's your background? I think that there's a lot of church planners out there that are well-known. Many of them have ministered in tough areas. And every once in a while you read a book by a guy and you're like, dude, you, all you've done is just, you know, kind of roll church around in the gravy a bit, you know, and uh, you, you haven't really church planted. You know what I mean? You've just, you've just rolled the drumstick around. It's not, it's not really, I wouldn't call that church planting. And I, I, I think, you know, telling our story helps people like, my gosh, that guy's been in the trenches, man. He has been in the front lines. You know, he's been to boot camp. You know, if I, if I tell someone, you know, I go out and I, 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 I you know, lob water balloons at people and call them grenades or I, you know, paint pellet war people and, you know, call myself a, you know, a, a green beret. It's not the same as saying, dude, I've, I've been in jump school in Fort Benning, Georgia, and, you know, I went overseas and saw a lot of combat. And, you know, there, there's a difference. And uh, right. that's kind of, you know, it's kind of something that, you know, hopefully will uh, will we'll come out. Absolutely will. All right. Well, uh, next week, the uh, podcast number two will be out with um, the starting it off with with how you got started doing your your first church plant. And uh, we'll go from there. So with that, thanks so much, Peyton. And uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Yeah, Pete. Looking forward to it, man. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot